I'm ready. ready. I've been ready since first call. I'm ready. 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 Hey, Mike Rosso here, Film Photography Podcast with John Fideli. Mr. Matt Marash. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, in today's episode, well, I'm calling this the first of Film in Motion. Uh-huh. You like Very, that? That's great. No. <laughs> came up with that on the toilet this morning, did you? <laughs> John actually saw me. Like, I wrote it down on a piece of paper. With a big and then, smile. then when I said it, he can tell by the way I said it. He's like, you just came up with that, didn't you? And you're patting yourself on the back. Like, I had a self, what, kind of look Self-congratulatory up. look. <laughs> You're like, look at me with the big figuring it out. Wow, things. yeah, it is in motion. It is. It's true. Well, Matt Mirage calls movie film motion film. And, you know, every day of my life I'm trying to lure still photographers <laughs> to try. So you're, you're a film... Uh, I don't like that either. Um, you're a film a addict. Pro- okay, yeah. I'm trying people. to get other people to come down your wormhole. And I don't feel... Like, I'm really doing anything that special as far as pr- promoting it. And the last person in the world I thought would be interested in motion picture film would be Matt Mirage. Mm. Matt Mirage, Mr. <coughs> Large Format Film Photographer. 8 by 10, 11 by 14, how much? 12 by 20. 12 by 20, all of them. Somehow Matt caught the bug, claiming that I put a Keystone 16 millimeter camera in his hands. <laughs> claiming there's footage of it, Mike. Oh, okay. You did it. It's was this in Ohio? At yeah, the, uh, yeah. When we were in Cleveland, he ah. uh, as he as you, you uh, I've never heard somebody say this before, but put that cucumber in my <laughs> yeah. <laughs> put yes. that cucumber right in his hand. The well, pusher the, man, the Keystone sixteen millimeter. Um, yeah, what's the, that one called? The, the, the Criterion a, edition, A sixteen. Is the it A twelve? A twelve. A twelve. That's the nice. A twelve. That's the nice leather edition. Yes, the Criterion. Yeah, um, Criterion Deluxe. Yep. Criterion Deluxe A12. Uh, Mr. Sam Sherman calls those the cucumber cameras. Yes, we're ready to roll. Because how, they're cucumber. How loud is that? Pretty loud. It's spring wound, so oh, it's going to yeah. be clackety. Yeah. I think it's wound. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. Broke it. <laughs> Pretty smooth. That's yeah, smoothish. Smooth. Yeah. I, I mean, it feels better than other cameras we'll be talking about. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So, today, so, folks, today we're going to be talking about 16 millimeter. And the thing is, if you think you're not interested, you are interested. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, or so. will be. It, yeah, it's as simple as that. So really fast, motion picture film was invented by uh, Thomas Edison in cahoots um, with Eastman Kodak. That's what they say. Yeah, listen. Allegedly. You, I don't need an email telling there's, me. There's a French guy and some other guy that also claimed fame to it, but whatever, go. Yeah, there were, if Thomas Edison and there were Edison-like folks in other countries, devo- like, you know, thinking about the same thing at the same okay. time. He's the first one that got it to market. Yes, in cahoots with Eastman Kodak. So they would you just find pictures on the internet of them like palling around together in their yeah. in their linen suits, cavorting. And how how far back was this? Uh, it started late eighteen hundreds. Wow! But it didn't really start coming together. And this is like lay person me just telling you guys. I mean, you can go to Wikipedia. By the turn of the century and in the teens, you know, it was the film on on a base that could be put through a, a camera, hand-cranked camera. Hence all the silent, you know, the mm-hmm. silent film era. And you think of all the early, you know, silent film mm-hmm. heroes. You know, the Charlie Chaplin. Who else? Oh, 1922 Nosferatu. Okay. It's so funny because you could pinpoint things to certain years. So if you look at 1921, 22, you'll see like this vast filmography of because the the gear was available and i bet you it was early orthochromatic film i had to be yeah which we're bringing back Ooh, yeah so did you see the movie nope yes 
So the movie that they talk about in there of the jockey on the horse. Yes. That was 1888. That was oh. the very first, I guess, That was like the motion first picture. big motion thing. Right? Round yeah. Hay Garden Scene, 1888. Wow. So uh, the format's been around a long time. Yes. Terrific. 35 millimeter. It's mostly out of out of our hands. Me, Matt, John. We're not going to shoot 35. 35. It's... Are there any compact 35 millimeter cameras? Yes. Yeah. Like the IMO. Size? Yes. I-M-O? No. E-Y-E-M-O. Oh. I covet it. <laughs> I search eBay for it all the time. And so what do they go It's for? a Bell & Howell yeah. World War... Matt's thinking. It's like, no, I, I've seen them. I've seen them out there. They're, they're, but they're heavy. I mean, it looks Are like they? a tank. Bell & Howell World War II hand crank 35 millimeter cameras. So they brought them out in the field. Brought them into the war. So they, that's why they're heavy. So if they get hit with a bullet, they can take <laughs> Well, a it's a big metal. It's not much different than, what model 16 is that? That's a 16S. It's just wider and fatter. Yeah. Mm. And that's, it, what load is, is that a 400 foot load? 100 mm. foot, 35 millimeter. Mm. And There's probably an adapter for a, a magazine, okay. I'm guessing. I'm not an expert on some of this history. Me, as an avid 16 millimeter shooter, I look at the IMO. Matt, I just want to shoot one roll. Of, I want to shoot just one roll of like. double X. Mm-hmm. And we've had a few FPP movie film customers shoot 35. Oh, oh. really? And when it comes in, I'm just like, my oh. just jaws. It's so... Looks beautiful. Amazing. Uh. What, I, what I'm thinking about, and maybe I'm going ahead here, but like 35, 35 normally is like 400 foot and 1,000 foot, right? So like a 100 foot load... You couldn't use, like, you know, rando bulk loading stuff, right? That's different. The 100-foot load of 35-millimeter for the IMO is on a 35-millimeter daylight spool. Oh, it's daylight? Okay. Pops in the camera. And, I mean, I immediately think of uh, Eastman X. But you could buy any Vision 3 stock and load it down down to 35-millimeter, 100 feet, and and shoot it. Cool. And our customer was shooting Sonic, which is our Mm -hmm. uh, orthochromatic black and white 35 millimeter film that's my favorite uh that's my favorite recent bit that you and john shot oh matt watches the did you see it the test that we did it we're outside a, with the sr yeah, you're like in the backyard yeah oh backyard no okay. right out here it was around there okay yeah. we were out with the sr shooting sonic film we were running in front of the dumpster john doesn't <laughs> okay. remember i don't it's only a few years ago was it yeah like 2019 yeah Eastman Kodak introduced 16 millimeter, half the size of 35 millimeter mm-hmm. in 1923, just as a less expensive alternative to 35 millimeter for amateurs. Yeah, the, and that was always an amateur format. During the 20s, the format was often referred to by professional industry as substandard. Mm-hmm. Well, so Kodak introduced it as to a way to put motion picture film into the hands of people who had money. The 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 you talk about the country club or the, the beach club. So I, I saw on eBay a, a lot, small lot of sixteen millimeter film, and mm-hmm. I bid on it and won it because it was shot in Montclair, New Jersey. Part of it. Oh, cool! And uh, so it was the lost films of Arthur B. Holmes. Yeah, there you go, Arthur B. Holmes. And oh, and vice president. Uh, no, there's a whole history here. There's a blog if you search the um, the lost films of Arthur B. Holmes. H-O-L-M-E-S at F-P-P. There's a whole blog. The great Owen McCafferty, because he is a... Um, there it is. He's a genealogist. Yeah. So I found this film. I told him the guy's name. I told him the like the address that was on the film. And he looked up the guy. Arthur B. Holmes. And, uh, and he found like the whole history. So the whole wow. history of Arthur B. Holmes is on this blog with still images from the found film. Oh, cool. So Arthur B. Holmes... Lives he, again. 
He shot this 16 millimeter film in 1933. Wow. And once again, it has to do with dates. It has to do with when did Kodak come out with their first, you know, wind up home film camera, 16 millimeter. Mm-hmm. 1931, 1932. So the camera that he used, according to Owen was brand new at the time. The Holmes family took it to their country club. Mm. Yes. So there was no other auction that may have included the camera? No. When you bought the film? There was no, I looked, there was no other. Just the film itself. Yeah. Lake Valhalla Country Club (laughs) in Montville, New Jersey. Arthur B. Holmes shot the footage. And there are some shots where, there's a shot, I know I'm going off on this, but it's so fascinating. There's a shot where this car pulls up. Yeah. And a guy gets out of the car, and he has a camera. There were multiple. Oh. There were multiple cameras. Jeez. So, th- like, clearly, they were he, film geeks. He and his friends bought like a fleet of these Kodak cameras. Mm-hmm. By the 1930s, if you had a little, ex- you know, um, what's the word? Expendable. A juice. Yeah, disposable income. Disposable. Disposable, disposable income. You could buy yourself a 16 millimeter camera. Yeah, so the standard size for the longest time was the 4x3 or 1.33 aspect ratio. And then it started as they as that more area opened up because they were going to put sound and, and whatever else on there. The gate started to you know open up along mm-hmm. that. And then we go to Super 16, which is the 1.66 aspect ratio, which is really... Really, still sought after today, and it's like yes. it's pretty close to HD. HD. You just have to put a little bar on the a little bit of bars on the top to to get there. So you really? have some headroom. Yeah, yeah. Huh. The lesser known, like not lesser known, but lesser one that's used. But people that are trying to get the most area out of their sixteen mil film, they'll do the ultra. And we have a variety Ooh. of cameras here. We oh yeah, we do. We, we have, have one vari- of each. Yeah. We have one of each here on on the table in front of us. Uh, we have our Aeroflex SR1, which was modified in 2005 to be Super 16. Super! Mm-hmm. What model camera do you have? So I have the, uh, this is an Aeroflex 16ST. So there was a few, but the, the 16S, this design started in 58 and went all the way up through the late 70s. Right. When the SR was the one that came after it. So this is 4 by 3 aspect ratio. There were folks that converted it, but the... The real, you know, the real sweet thing about this camera is it uses uh, a turret, and it's not like a Bolex or any of the early Kodak cameras, which have a, mm. a turret where everything is straight up in the front. This has what's called a divergent turret, so there's a little bit of a curve to it, oh. meaning I can have whatever lenses in really in whatever order, and they're just going to sit on there, and I can just shift it. Shift everything oh, around. Look at that, and then punch it back in, and go right in. But the other cool thing with this, a lot of folks consider the 16s. This is like the first shift into like, oh, cameras are getting like this is not just like super consumer. This is a serious camera that can be used for so universities, news used a lot of these cameras, and they there was a lot of these that were owned by uni- uh, universities for training students, and mm-hmm. then. They're like once it became a little bit cheaper, sports were using these because they're just like beaters. It's a cameras. workhorse. It is, and I fell in love with it because it's the. Uh, I feel like this is this is to sixteen what like the Hasselblad was for me for like medium format. Yep, huh. and it's got the same kind of that that uh, that roughed metal kind of exterior, and it's just super solid. I love it. And on the camera, folks, is a turret, three lenses, mm-hmm. what's known as the prime lenses, although you could put a zoom on there, but Matt yeah. has three prime. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing you have a, a standard, which standard would be what? how many millimeter? So 16, uh, you, your crop factor is like a, a 2X. So you would, you would divide your standard lens from 35 by 2. So a 25 is your standard. 
your wides are like your 16 and your 10. So I have a 10, uh, a 10, a 25, and a 35. Hmm. So, 35 so. is considered telephoto. 35 is a little bit longer on this, right. yeah. The frame is is standard 4x3? It's the 4x3, yeah. So this, and that's what kind of threw me off on this camera at first, because <clears throat> it has a pretty nice ground glass with a large enough area on it that you can convert this with enough money, you can convert it to right. wh- whatever. It's 4x3, but the ground glass is open enough that if it does get converted, you can still have the framing. They just have right. to change the screen. There's a lot of obsession with upgrading cameras. I see a lot on on boards and you know on on the on the web. But in fact, I mean, with your standard four by three frame, if you're shooting a professional job and you know the footage is going to be sixteen by nine, film resolution is good enough. Yeah, that you shoot four by three and then in post production come in. You, yeah, you you zoom in on the frame to whatever frame you want. Yeah, and I think some of it too is when people are shooting, you know. 8 or 16, anything less than, you know, something that looks like HD. I think some of the look is seeing the film, seeing the sprockets, seeing the gate. So, so some folks will just leave it like that. It, yeah. It's it's like a hint that you're watching something. So, like, you ever think when they show classic footage on an HD broadcast and then it cuts into 4x3, your mind instantly <coughs> knows I'm looking at yes. something older or a flashback. So you don't have to, but yeah. I totally agree with you, Mike. If you go on like forums and Reddit and all all this where people are talking about these, you would come away from any thread thinking, "Oh, I have I to get super. Oh, 16. Has to be super sixteen. Has to be ultra sixteen. Mm-hmm. What's the most film I can get exposed for my dollar?" Yeah, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't. Uh, and uh, there's so many cameras out there. So I was mildly surprised when Matt, you know, became like the addict. That I am for 16. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have a K3 in front of me. I haven't even shot with it yet, but I know I do want to shoot with it because I want to see what you know what what the chatter's all about online. Mm-hmm. Um, now, since I came from Araflex background, it's different. I think if you're new to a format, you buy the K3 first. It's first your first experience. First experience, and then. But to work with an Aeroflex and move down, you it, know, it I, is moving down. Yeah, I will say things to Matt like, "Oh, that's a toy," and you know, no. I'm serious. Well, to you it is. Well, to your it, has to do with, it, has, it has to do with craftsmanship and how it's made. Like, you can't compare a Krasnikov 3, a Russian-made camera, to a Swiss-made Bolex. Like, you, you, there's no comparison. They're, they're, they're different animals. I would put the K3 closer to, although K3 is a reflex camera, looking through the lens. Mm-hmm. I would put it in craftsmanship more with the keystones what your experience is is informing and like i think it is a generational thing too so if you have no no preconceived notions you don't even know what the camera looks or sounds like yeah um that's that's wild plus somebody coming from stills there's there's like some cool advantages to something like that k3 you've got there what lens does that take well you can have various mounts on a on a k3 this particular camera i bought from moldova okay that's a country Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and this has a what's known as an M42 screw mount. That's really and accessible. I, and I bought that because I knew when I bought it, because it came with a standard K3 zoom lens. Mm-hmm. Um, the the, the Meteor Zoom. Yeah, this is a, uh, well, it's a 1.9 lens, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can go from 17 millimeter all the way up to like 67, 69 millimeter. Yeah. Which is a very nice zoom, but I knew that I wanted a snub nose camera. I, I I didn't want the big 
zoom hanging off of it. I want to just walk around town and be stealth. So I was oh re- yeah, stealth. Be stealth with that. So I was already searching smaller lenses. So I bought a Pentax seventeen millimeter fisheye lens, which fisheye on a sixteen millimeter camera would be what? It's a standard lens. It's, it ends up being like a thirty four, thirty five. Uh, you think so? Yeah. Well, since you have super sixteen, it's like a little bit wider. You might have like a. Th- 30 or 32. I might get a little vignetting too. Uh, because that's meant to cover 35. Yeah. You're seeing just the best, like there's nothing even distorted on there because you're cropped in so far. Yeah. So folks listening who are new and thinking about shooting movie film, um, my recommendation is always go on eBay and put your toe in the water. You won't get hurt. Uh, you buy uh, a Keystone windup. And those like always work, right? The old, old really old wind up cameras. Uh, well, I always, I always uh, query the seller, saying, you know, can you wind it up? Does it work? Uh, I ask for pictures. Uh, one snafu of buying your first sixteen millimeter camera, if you're buying a much older camera, is also like the Kodak Model K. Mm-hmm. Is you know, does it take double perf film or single mm-hmm. perf film? So single perf sixteen millimeter film is now readily available from Kodak and other sources, and the standard is single perf sixteen millimeter film. But some of the older cameras have two sets of teeth, two sets of teeth, so you need the double perf. And you can't we've seen we've seen film come through the FPP movie film department of someone who shot with a camera that needs double perf and they shot single perf. So does does it ruin the film? Chewed up. It depends on the camera. Strangely enough, one fellow sent it in and he, like every few frames he had an actual image. Uh-huh. But for the most part, it's a smeary mess. It's it's uh-huh. not dragging it through the gate properly oh because it's it's pushing a part of it out is that is that why well we we, we saw the the where the camera was trying to perforate the film oh uh, so it was kind of like uh, had like motion to yeah. it yes yes it doesn't I've, doesn't work yeah and the dividing line for that is pretty much like the isn't it like the 50s is when yeah that went to like because the, the crazy thing with the the s when this came out single perf was like not quite a thing but this has just a single registration right. pin and pull-down claw, so this can take both. Mm. Yes. That's what's kind of cool. The Keystone A12, this camera is somewhere around 1951. So mm. I think from 49 to 51, they made the single perf an option. Like this is, quote-unquote, the deluxe. Yeah. So when, when looking, you have to really ask the seller, whoever the seller may be, to get some pictures of the actual you know, the, the loading yeah. the gears by the gate the so internals you, of the camera yeah so you can see if it takes single or double perf it's not a crime if it takes double perf it's just it limits your options l- limits your options but we we brought back double perf yeah so and you're like F, a film photography store is like the source for for two perf stuff unless you're looking through like really old random film yeah so if you have a camera that takes single perf you could run single perf or double perf through it mm-hmm. if your camera is Super 16 or Ultra 16, and you run double perf through it, then... You're shooting through a perf. You're, yeah. shooting, you're shooting picture through a perf, which someone may think is cool. You could pick up a Keystone for under $100. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of those double sprocket yeah. ones that are under 100 And you could pick up film for thirty nine ninety nine at the FPP. Black Wow, nice. Uh, and then, of course, when you get into developing scanning, that's when mm-hmm. that's when it adds up. That's, yeah. that's when it all starts adding up. So that's why do your homework before you shoot. So Matt, when you fir- what are we leaving out here? We're leaving we're leaving a lot out. Well, yeah, yeah, but we'll we'll get S. there. Yeah. yeah, 
SR. When I put the keystone in your hand, clearly yeah. you knew that wasn't going to cut it for you. Well, for your I, applications. Yeah, and I, I, which know, were what? I, I still don't even know the applications. <laughs> but like, he put it in my hand, and he's like, "Hey, shoot, you know, shoot a little bit of this," and it was just like, it was fun. It felt like it was some. It was definitely something new, and I think part of it is because I've been doing so much video so consistently for the last few years that the stuff I would have been like overwhelmed about exposure, focusing, all that stuff. That that can be a lot if you're not somebody that's done motion mm-hmm. before, because there's different considerations. You know, like um, if you're coming from stills, what's the number one thing you don't want to see in your like picture? You want like a blurry picture. You don't, so you're always worried about fast shutter speed, fast shutter speed, and you move to a motion camera, uh, and like that's I think that's like the first big disconnect. You're like, yep, oh, yep, my shutter's pretty slow actually, yep, you're, and then you know somebody, God forbid, somebody says shutter angle, like mm-hmm. oh, what? What's that? What's this do? So let's see, um, movie camera shutter speed, yeah. So from a motion, from a still photography thirty from a from a still photography background moving into filmmaking mm-hmm. i don't get really into the whole you know the degree because people do ask questions about the degree of the shutter mm-hmm. i just simplify it for the type of cameras that i'm talking about every day with my customers yeah. at fpp who are shooting film yeah if you're shooting at 24 frames per second 148th of a second or mm-hmm. as professor tarbox would say just you know 150th of a second yeah mm-hmm. and if you're shooting um 16 frames per second we're we're pushing the 130th of a second shutter mm-hmm. speed and that's why which is could be a separate topic matt and i just buzzing around town here in the last few days talking about why everyone still sh- still photography shooters and movie shooters are obsessed with high speed film are obsessed speed demons obsessed t- and are obsessed. You know, we have so much film here at the FPP that I'm trying to recommend ISO 10 film, ISO 40 film that works so perfectly with motion picture cameras because you're stuck at a 130th of a second shutter mm-hmm. or 150th of a shutter. Mm-hmm. So you don't, if you're shooting in daylight, you don't need all that you speed. Don't, you don't want yeah. it. No. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a limitation. to stop it down. Yeah. yeah. And I'm seeing the results of the disconnect. And that's why I'm not pushing, I'm not pushing an agenda. I'm not pushing my own agenda. I'm pushing an agenda because I'm seeing the results of the shooter not understanding that relationship <clears throat> yeah. relationship, and then not being advanced enough to say, oh, I messed up. Where's my ND4 filter? Or, mm-hmm. you know, so, so everyone... you're getting a lot of overexposed filters. Yes. Or the miracle of Dave, our color grader, our, <laughs> mm-hmm. our colorist. He probably sees a lot of blue footage. Oh, yeah. That's uh, not a problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, everyone's grabbing the 500T. Everyone. Super 8, regular 8 if, when it's available, and certainly 16 millimeter. And they're going to shoot in the desert. Not no joke. I'm not even like I'm not making up a location. That's crazy. The, or they're going to shoot in the blazing beach. Mm-hmm. So Dave has to beat beat it down, pull it. And when you pull it down so much, you're getting grain. Mm-hmm. You're getting artifacts. Yeah, you're, you're losing color. information. It's just if you shot the same film on let's say 50D, that's beautiful. 50 yeah. ISO, perfect. But like that, if you're somebody that's coming from stills, you see 50 and you're like, ah, I can't do anything with this. But it's it's really like, no, it's it's perfect. For that's it. what you want. Yeah. And the lower stuff, which, you know, it isn't popular, like this, our Sonic 25 ISO, Sonic 12 ISO. And then the new stuff I'm pushing, 
the Yeti negative 10 ISO, oh. Yeti reversal 1 ISO. I don't see the disconnect because I have my trusty Goss and Luna Pro light meter, mm-hmm. and you just meter your scene, and you're like, oh, okay, and you just, you know, you lock do, in that shutter speed yeah. and then measure it. There are two camps, I think, Matt. There are the ho- there's the hobbyist who are mm-hmm. almost like shooting film because they want to shoot film, but there's no subject matter. Yeah. Or no... En- no, no what, pro- there's no project yet. To what end? Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm there... I'm in that camp. <laughs> no. And then there's... Well, Matt is Matt has not released, as of this record date... Nothing yet. He hasn't released anything. He hasn't done a YouTube video about it. He hasn't ex- told anybody. It's keeping it top I, secret. I am. I've been keeping it tight. Yeah. Oh, this is your coming out? It is. Well, oh. Matt is looking for... You know, he. I know you're searching for subject. You're like... He's honing his craft. He's seeing the results. Yeah. He's analyzing the details. And I think what's great about us at the FPP is like we all bring something to the table. I bring stupidity. I thought that's what I brought. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> John brings stupidity. Yes. I, think I bring so. like just like uh, not understanding math. <laughs> like Matt, you know, I always Matt give. Matt brings everything else. I always give an amazing amount of credit to Matt, Leslie, mm-hmm. and Mark O'Brien because they have. A lot of like this technical experience. Like I'm, always, I'm always shocked. They've at, approached at, it the right way. Whenever I get a response from Leslie by email, I'm always like in awe. Like, oh my god, this is like just decades of knowledge mm-hmm. because Leslie worked in retail and she knows, knows these it. products, especially chemistry, as Matt does. Matt comes from a um, biology background. Yeah, but I also come from the retail too. So, and yeah. you have chemistry background. Mm-hmm. So Matt looks at everything. So when Matt sent his first film of 16 millimeter to us to develop scan, he knew exactly what I wanted. I want this. I want 4K DPX files. But he had a, a reason and a logical uh, workflow of what he wanted to accomplish. What I'm seeing from customers is a lack of understanding. There's a disconnect. When they see our options for movie film, whether it's 8mm, Super 8, or 16, they see HD, 2K, 4K. And I think, based upon the film I'm seeing, that they think that grading up to 4K is going to improve. It's going to make it better. Yeah. No, it's not going to make it better if you don't expose it. It's just more of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. You have more picture. You know, so. Education is key, Matt. Yeah, no, it really is. And you know, I think I think we're probably gonna like talk about this more. But the for if you're not used to not just the handling of the camera and the, like the terminology stuff, but like just the the technical that is assumed when you pick up a 16 mil camera can feel daunting if you assume it's going to be the Super 8 experience where you slap in a cartridge and you mm-hmm. press a button because it's not. It's very different. There's like you're, you're focusing. Yes. You're manually focusing. If it is a more modern camera, you're setting frame rates or it's locked in and you got to like calculate your exposure and you're you're working to the limitations presented by the film stock and the the shutter on the camera. So, it can it can feel daunting, but it's it's, it's pretty freaking cool too. Yeah. I mean, when John and I were being tumbled around in the back of vans when we would always volunteer uh, NYU shoots. Mm-hmm. I always was jealous, of course, because the crews, they had crew, they have better crews than us here in New Jersey, mm-hmm. you know, when we were in college. Yeah. And do you remember they, there was a, you know, it was like, it was like professional crews. There was a shooter, there was an assistant camera who loaded the camera, mm-hmm. and it was always like, you know, snapping, depth of field, yeah. get out the depth of field chart. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. they were super technical. Grab the tape measure, yeah. Where I was always much more nuts and bolts of, like, okay. Eyeball it. Eyeball it, Goss Luna Pro, what F-stop. You know, when we're shooting features, like, people like Hawkeye would be like, tap mm-hmm. me on the shoulder. Excuse me, Mike, 
shouldn't you have the orange filter on your camera? <laughs> which is, of course, opening up a whole other topic, which is almost moot today in, yeah. dare I say, in if you're shooting negative film. Yeah. Color negative. Because grading is, is a thing. Yeah. And I get a lot of questions from Super 8 shooters because many Super 8 shooters, the, the, the fil- there's a filter. There's no filter or you have an 85 orange filter, mm-hmm. which is for tungsten film shooting yeah. in daylight. Yeah, right here. So if you shot tungsten film color in mm-hmm. your 16 camera outside without your filter. Blue. Yes. But color grading is so advanced. It's not too bad. Yeah. It's not too bad. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even notice. No. Like you, you do lose a – like I find if you're shooting people, <clears throat> like if you're shooting landscapes, there's no difference. But what you lose if you shoot like really blue footage with, without the filter, you lose like the like depth to skin tones on people. So like everything gets muted. So if somebody's like pale, they're super pale when you color grade it. Or if, if they're tan, like they just get this weird like there's less variation in the color tone because you're thro- when, you, when you color grade or you edit, you're always throwing away stuff. You're not getting anything back. So what you're throwing away, you're, you know, you're changing the throwing out those blue pixels and saying, leave the red. And that, I'm, I'm, that's a great way to look at it. Matt is demonstrating my point, which is <laughs> he is seeing the difference, <laughs> yeah. but the way I work... You're like, eh. Exactly. Looks great. It's sort of like... Well, fix it It's sort of like when you and Kevin Nebelung gave me a track for a movie and you gave it to me as a demo. And I got it. I'm like, oh my God, it's great. In the movie. Yeah. Didn't even wait for them <laughs> to finish it. You know, it's like it's like... How do you work? Everyone has a different workflow. Yeah. And what are you trying to accomplish? I, to I think, what end, exactly? And I think Matt is a great example because Matt, and kudos to you, you're looking at things from a much higher end technical perspective yeah. than it's, I it's, am. That stuff comes easy. So, yeah, of, course I, I, of course, I take it to that. But, like, the hard thing for me is, like, start drumming up the creative part of it, you know? So, like, that's why I'm starting to work with more folks. Uh, my buddy Steven. Yeah. We're starting, like, he's he was wanting to do more directorial stuff i like doing the that's run, perfect. Run the camera that's stuff right so, yeah and matt is very complimentary and you know either you would have said nothing or yeah you would have said nothing if running your film through us if we didn't do a good job you would have either been kind and said nothing that but was awesome th- but that yeah to 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 tell folks because it seems like and these are the golden age this is the golden age here at fpp because it's like what we do here is secret. Mm. It's like some people know about the services we offer and some people don't because there's so many other companies out there mm-hmm. who are doing a better job promoting and or they've been in the business forever. Yeah. So the so when we bring film in, we take it so serious when we're doing a color grade, you know, whether it's Matt's film or someone who shot a wedding, what they're getting is like the best possible thing that you will not get anyplace else for the money. No, the the one thing that like still I can see just the difference is you had a film you posted. I don't know if it was shot this year or last year. It's just walking around Jersey, and it was the eight millimeter scan, and it was like fifty D, and it looked clean, like so, like yeah. it looked like sixteen. It was so so mm. clean for eight millimeter scans, and it was one you said Dave had graded. Yeah, it was, it was super super clean. I yeah. do see a lot of Super 8 especially on social media and folks are so happy about shooting film and that they post it and they don't have enough, enough experience to know it's not graded at all. They went to a facility that charged you for... It's very flat. Yeah. yeah. Like a one light. Yeah. They just exactly. <clears throat> set the dials and let it rip. They don't yeah. go yeah. scenic. Yeah. One, and like the base will still be like... It won't be like black. It'll be like gray. Oh. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a baseline scan because... Yeah. 
the thought you're buying a, a package that you're supposed to grade that yourself. Yeah, it comes back flat. Yeah, and that happens here with feature films. We get the the, the scans in. Let's say it's a foreign film because mm-hmm. the film isn't allowed to leave the country. They just send us a hard drive to do color grading. And when you look at the before and after, uh, the color grading. Of course, the colors are the colors are beautiful, but there's a pop. You're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's art. <laughs> no, it's it's so cool. Yeah, it's definitely. There's an art to it for yeah. sure. There's an art to color grading. Mm-hmm. It's like anything else, Photoshop, any other any other technical thing you do. Folks at home are doing it, and I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But please don't call yourself a colorist. Right. <laughs> no, no, it's very different. It's like I've been messing around with Resolve for four or five years, but then I right. like come in here, and I just like observe Dave for like 60 seconds. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, didn't even, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. John, all the work that we've done, I would never call myself a cinematographer because never. I am not. I can't like when Tim Healy came in, moved in, and started yeah. do in awe, <clears throat> awe yep. of someone who is a true cinematographer, really knows the process, who knows what like like hang ten k there or do like just mm-hmm. in awe. I just step back, be like, yep. okay, I'll do what I do better. Because I remember when shooting with uh, John Keating, we would shoot a scene, and I would look, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, was was, was it in focus? He kind of took a step back, and he'd go, hold on. He'd look at a focus chart, and then he'd measure where he was. <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's like, no, your focus is like from 5 feet to 15 feet. So he was in that zone, so he's in focus. That's a you subject know? focus as well, which is depending on what f-stop you're shooting at, you have a yes. focus within certain, certain periods. Yeah. You don't have to sweat it, especially if you're working yeah. professionally. Yeah. If you're working yeah. – someone's – let's say you're doing a music video. I'm sure mm-hmm. a lot of folks listening – there are a lot of people out there shooting music videos. Yeah, and that's actually a really cool project for the 16 stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, for sure. It's very possible, yeah. But you don't want to go out and shoot because most, I guess, you're shooting low budget. You don't have a video tap, which is a system that taps into your eyepiece so you can see video of what mm-hmm. you're shooting. Mm-hmm. It also kind of like uh, is a bit of a tether on a camera. Yeah. You can't run and gun with a... A video tap on your camera. No, well, they they're wireless now. Yeah. So, is that right? They got they, the they, budget. They, yeah, they put a wireless transmitter. So, but like most music videos, like even like in the small Columbus market I'm in, music videos have like the different tiers, and ninety percent of them are in that I can afford a guy. I can't afford. I can't afford a DP and somebody to run grips. Somebody right. to run. It's like a guy. He's doing everything, and then everybody else that shows up in the video is friends with yeah. friends with the singer or the group, right. and uh, it's so, a communal thing. What yeah. about focus pulling? Not a professional thing. Focus? No, it's like it's that guy. Yeah. So with your rig, this is the run and gun. Yeah. You would just see what you're doing, and because your hand is on the lens while you're shooting, it's you already would, on. Yeah, I'll tweak it. Yeah. Do you remember in class, John, that we would do the focusing, putting dots on the lens, mm-hmm. and then so. In film class, getting your marks. One student would be shooting. One student would be do focus pulling, yeah. and another student would be zoom pulling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing three people on the camera, right? Yeah. And if you're doing a, a real, like a real, real, real production, they, that's still very much a thing. In fact, the, the I went to a training a few weeks ago. Um, it was with the new the new Airy stuff. Their their new like their new Dig, all that stuff now, Mike. Not only is it wireless, it's like almost doing your job. Even though focus is still manual on all the big cinema cameras, they have these little, um, I think they're called the focus bug. Yeah. And it's like a sonar <clears throat> thing. You put this little bug, little, little postage stamp thing, in the talent's pocket. And, and they walk around 
and you have your it wire. It transmits to the camera and the gear as it changes. It focuses. It doesn't autofocus, but it transmits wirelessly to the focus puller's wireless oh. focus, and they can set their marks up to five different locations on four different actors. Get out of here! And what? It can, it's amazing. And the focus That's puller amazing. is now working off wirelessly. the camera yes. wirelessly with a, like yes. a gearbox. Yeah, and the thing has a screen, so they can play back the feed sometimes too. Like it's amazing. Wow! And now, now with the new, I feel like I'm I'm shilling Ari, but I'm just excited because the training was fun. There's also like a master control, so if like somebody comes on set and wants to like override the camera, producer, there's, like, there's yeah, there's like a clutch on the camera, <laughs> and it lets the focus puller know somebody was somebody who doesn't know the camera was messing with it, and then it like reconfigures it. Yes, that's crazy. It's so cool how many things that like. How many generations you are from like somebody out with a tape measure to like yeah it's full so it's still advancing is there do uh, they still use tape measures or they do, do they have like but laser? it's all digi tape now so they use like the stuff from that's from the golf world because yeah. those guys they have like the ciders the yeah is there off camera uh, f stop pulling it's usually the focus puller but if it's a big production with like those those giant ingenue zooms you know with the huge motors then they'll have uh, a second. Uh, a second camera he'll do. So with a Aeroflex digital, yeah. what, would, what type of, is there latitude so when the camera is moving in like a set, moving a moving camera where the lighting is changing, mm-hmm. is that all manipulated post-production because there's enough latitude? It, the latitude's insane. It's is like that right? 17 stops. Wow. That's a lot. Mm, that's right. Yeah. 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 Claiming it's more than film, but it's like, you know, this is still a, a unique tool. Yes, the, the the film itself that has, it teaches you, yeah, all of that workflow, and also kind of teaches you where it came from. You know, John. I mean, when we were coming up, and even now, folks who are shooting film and sending it to FPP, it's like we're really trying to get the best quality in camera mm-hmm. of what you have right. you know without spending any money money in post production but yes. i've seen dave here at fpp work on features where mm-hmm. you put various windows on the shot so that's a, yeah yeah so let's say there was a film that was shot in the 70s and he's working on it and then there's a scene where like the lighting there's a like let's say a quarter of the frame is overlit yeah it's like he, super back he puts yeah. a window in that's another layer brings it down. and then oh, really? he brings a little piece down I've seen it, and I'm like, oh, my that God. That specific so... piece of the frame. Yeah. Not only wow. can you do that in the Resolve, you can also, for the people that mess up with, like, the color balance, you can select. So, like, you know, Photoshop, there's the eyedropper. Yeah. You can take an eyedropper on a moving picture. You select a color and a color oh. range, oh. and you can correct or shift just that range. It's, it's amazing. Wow. So, yeah. like, the technology is, I think at this point, uh, both with stills and now video, the choice is 100% aesthetic. Yep. Do you want to do it all in camera? Do you want to do it all in post? Do you want to mix? So, like, the cool thing is the motion is now there, where it's, if they want to do it, like, a, producing a video game where it's all digital, they can do that. Or if they want to, you know, you still have your Tarantinos and your Nolans that they swear by film, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they're shooting film in the modern age using all the advanced, advanced ARRI technology mm-hmm. so that... I mean, it's still go- still going through the same digital workflow. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, the post is yeah, improved, but the film right. is also as as good as it's going to so, be. So, uh, film negative to digital post production, mm-hmm. whatever effects they add, and then 
print, print back to film. Exactly. Or DI, as they call it. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's pretty cool. And if folks listening, if you're, if you're still listening, I mean, <laughs> God help us if like, any professional is listening. Yeah, I mean, I we're talking... They, they blew their brains out long ago. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking from the perspective of amateur shooters. Right. Yeah. Hobbyists. People who are infatuated with it. Yeah. You know, a new, a new infatuation. Yes. You know, starting at square one. Right. And just it's shooting. It's the most basic form of capturing images. Yeah. Which is kind of cool if you think about it. You're a Super 8 shooter shooting, getting it developed and scanned, and you're getting yeah. back what you shot. Yeah. And you just take it from there. Yeah. And uh, most customers, uh, most shooters who are shooting movie film, they want to even see that experience of everything's overscanned to mm. see the sprocket holes. Mm-hmm. It's a part of the viewing experience. It is. And I'm a big, big promoter yeah, of it. There's a program to put sprockets in, I bet. Oh, there is. Oh, there is. People, people buy a whole, like, expend, they spend a couple hundred bucks on these look packs yeah. to, to add the sprockets or to add the grain or scratches on. And that, just, I, that I can't get down with. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you're from film, so it's like, why don't you shoot film? I don't know. I should get over it. The folks that are using the drop-down packages and putting sprockets they're never going to shoot film and you're not fooling anybody by the way <laughs> well they're not going to fool That's anybody the thing. i love the i love the super 8 drop down that has the sprocket hole but a picture in the sprocket oh really yeah <laughs> oh, oh really i've seen that Stoops. but i have seen you know documentaries that are using actual film footage that's overscanned includes the sprockets. So and that's what overscan means, right? It's yeah. it's showing everything outside the area. Yeah. Okay. And we mostly scan including everything because not only is it cool, we're not doing it because it's cool, but it's giving um, you know, the ProRes file to the customer who could then make their own decision in post production, mm-hmm. even if it's a three minute movie that they're going to edit, to then decide if they're gonna zoom in ah. or crop it. Most folks just like the sprockets. Sprockets. You know, you know what that brings up, Mike. No. Sprockets. What is what is the average length of like the different films that are out there? So, like, if someone's sending in eight or super eight, <clears throat> what's the average like thing that comes in? Somebody sends in, you know, one of these one of these little guys. Yes. What's how long is it, and how much time do you get with that? When you're That's shooting an film? excellent question. The question everyone wants to know. Yeah. So regular eight or um, super eight, they're both the same. They're both you end up with 50 feet worth of film. Okay. So if you're shooting at 16 frames per second or eight or super eight, 18 frames mm-hmm. a second, you're getting approximately four minutes. Oh, that's not bad. A little, maybe okay. a little under, maybe a little over, depending on how many, what um, film rate, the frames per second. So, it, oh, so if I increase my frames, I'm burning more film. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, you know, do you have a rough number for, for folks are like looking into this and like all they can see are like, they're already on eBay and they're like already panicking because they see the cost of like the cameras and stuff. Um, do you have a an approximate? If I'm going to shoot a minute of this film, how much is it going to cost me to shoot eight or sixteen? Or, yes, God forbid, thirty five. Hmm. You know, if you buzz around on on the internet regarding Super Eight, there are a lot of you're going to find a lot of trendy cameras that everyone recommends, like a lot of the Canons. Oh yeah, the XLs and, and stuff. Yeah. They're going. For too much money, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So just like in still photography, in you know movie film photography, in cinematography or movie making, there's the underdog cameras that do a wonderful job that no one buys, and you can get that for under fifty dollars. For Super Eight, I always recommend the Bell and Howell T20 XL. 
it's a point shoot camera. There's no focusing. There's a zoom, mm. and it's it's a starter camera. Okay, but it's reliable, and it gets the job done, and it puts out a decent picture. I've done many tests with it, and you can get it for under fifty dollars. And so I all right. So camera under fifty dollars. I buy a roll of uh, you know a, a cartridge of let's say color or yeah. whatever. That first four minutes of video I shoot, what's what's what am I looking at? Film. The film processing, oh. scanning. That's a great question, Matt. So what's it? We'll be right back. To start to, to start <laughs> up. Well, let's, shoot we'll, your first. Roll. We'll start with Super Eight. Okay, and then then we'll define the sixteen. And Not, then we'll you're go looking at soup to nuts, ninety one dollars at FPP. A roll. That's yeah. That's not so like for four minutes of. That's yeah. that's not even a lens on some of these. 35 cameras that people are, are going nuts over. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's of this recording. I mean, subject to change, of course, based upon, mostly based upon Kodak and them mm. raising prices of Super mm-hmm. 8 stock. To keep up, yeah. But if you buy, just buy a roll of film, two types of film, regardless of whether you're a 16 shooter, 8 millimeter shooter, Super 8 shooter, mm-hmm. uh, negative stock, reversal stock. And that's a big one for, for, for folks starting out to get over the hurdle. Because... In their mind, they picturing something. Once I talk them down, the fact that it's not a video camera and you do have to develop your film. Yeah, you're not just plugging this in. Yeah. Yeah, because folks do think, you know, oh, how can I look at it? Yeah. And some folks don't even think that the film needs to be developed. Yep. And that's how I have to, I have to start at a starting point that is way back. Mm-hmm. Thinking someone knows nothing because people frequently call Super 8 cameras video cameras. Mm. Yeah. Two things to know, negative versus reversal film. So if you go to a garage sale and you buy the camera and a projector, projection, Mm -hmm. then all you need to buy is a a roll of Kodak Tri-X, black and white. That's reversal, meaning the film reverses in development to create a positive. So you can actually look at your little image and see a positive image. Or project it. That's someone who wants specifically to project as well as get a video image or get or digital image. or scan it. Yeah. it gives you both options. You could scan yeah. and you could project. project. People are excited enough about the format. Thank God to actually still be shooting it. But Ektachrome is a great example too because that gives you the option of projecting or mm-hmm. scanning. And of course, the negative films, the Vision Three color Kodak films. You have fifty ISO, two hundred ISO tungsten. Tungsten means. Tungsten means yeah, warm light. lights, indoor lights. Yeah, yeah. five hundred. No one should buy it. <laughs> <laughs> tungsten, uh, unless you're shooting indoor at a party. At yes. Night. Yeah. Should Matt, I've done it, all these tests. Go visit my parents. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna beat my parents. I'm gonna turn all the lights on and shoot this with no all, all other lights. Mm-hmm. Negative film, and then we color graded here. Yeah, perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Perfectly fine. Yeah, it looks good. Negative film, you can't project so. With negative film, you can only get it scanned. Yeah. What do you think gives a better image? The reversal or negative? Uh, Does it matter? Six it's, of one. It's, it's 50 daylight film is a negative film, and it's so beautiful and so tight. Mm. But then again, the ectochrome is only 100 ISO, and that also gives an equally as brilliant color image. But it's and, more challenging exposure-wise. Yes. Yeah. Mm. But we're talking right now. We're talking Super Eight, which so, is like auto for the most so, part. So yeah. So you Super Eight, and don't don't I know it? I've said it on the podcast a zillion times. You're shooting Super Eight auto all the way. And I didn't listen to Jared Bookwalter, who lent me his camera in <laughs> 1989. You know, and he said, "Listen, Mike, just put it in auto and shoot." 
No, no. couldn't do that. That'd be fancy. <laughs> mm. These cameras, the Super 8 cameras, they're not pro. They're they're prosumer cameras. So even when you're taking it out of auto and putting f-stops, how accurate is that? Yeah. Mm. How accurate is it after 40 years? Yeah. <laughs> put it in auto. Put it in auto. Put it in auto. And with Super 8, make, if some cameras take two sets of batteries. One for the meter, one for the motion. Double yeah. A's for the motor and a button cell for the meter. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many... I walk into Dave's room and I'll see like a completely overexposed film. That's not 500T. And I'm like, oh, they didn't know about that second. They didn't know about the meter. Yeah. So it's just lack of knowledge of the camera. People are so excited. They buy the camera, put the motor batteries in, yeah. pop in the cartridge, and oh. just start shooting. It's a $90 lesson. Okay. That last question about Super A, then we'll move on. Someone, let's say someone is like, they're, they're pixel peeping. What's, <laughs> what are you going to get what? out of They're pixel peeping, peeping those pixels. <laughs> Hundred percent, two hundred, four hundred percent. What's the uh, what's the best res you can get out of Super Eight? Like, what do you recommend if someone's sending in res? Like, I want four K. Like, do they need four K? I only recommend two. Two K is nice because it's it's a good archival uh, format to to store your your file. I always say, if you're working on let's say music video, and let's say the music video is shot multi format, meaning you mm-hmm. know some digital, some Super Eight. Yeah. You know what is the project being? edit it how it's 4k it's a 4k project great then get a 4k scan you know uh but for your average person myself included hd scan okay i mean that's 2k yeah uh, well the 2k and hd are a little different Mm -hmm. but not much i mean it's very very close um any other 4k and the 6k that's like overkill but you know 6k yeah so you know, facilities that are promoting the 6K, I mean, you always have to keep your ear to the ground of, like, they just got the gear and they're promoting the hell out of it. I feel bad for any customer of mine that gets the 4K who doesn't understand it because they're getting this massive file for no reason. And, Matt, you know better than anyone else. Yeah. What's it like to manage that file on your desktop? Oh, my God. Well, it, it depends on what you get. So FUP has options for how you get the, the file delivered. Um you you sent me that the first for my first role. You sent me that preview file, which was great. They already had like a, a soft grade on it, and it was like I think it was just like an MP4, which yes. was like that was sweet because I could you can play it on a phone. It's yep. still big, but like it it looks great. So I think if you're just doing the Super Eight, I think the MP4 file, the finished one, looks really really nice. You don't have to do much. But then if you want to like play around or edit it more. You also offer the ProRes option, yes, which is really nice. Your Mac users have no problem. People that have an NLE or you know Resolve Premiere edits really, really decently. And then, then you have like the super high end option. You can do the the DPX, which that's literally every single frame is a raw file oh with sixteen bits in it. So it's four 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 four, which is yes. the, all the solar s- subsampling. Jeez. That uh, crashes my laptop. <laughs> and that's like a video editing laptop. How many gigs of file is that? So my first 16 mil footage, which was 100 feet, which is a two minutes and 45 seconds at 24 frames, was just shy of 300 gigabytes. Holy crap. And it demolished my laptop. And the only thing that could play it was like a brand new like editing workstation. 
and even then it's like if you try to do too many effects and stuff it'll yeah. it'll like it'll chug a little bit but oh. that's like the that's the someone that's doing stuff like dave or you're handing it to a colorist yeah. or an editor and they want their footage to not necessarily have higher resolution but to have like you can give it a look you can add a color wash or you make black and white look like sepia or you do any kind of changes in color it's but it looks amazing well what do you get what do you get your files I well now that I have an editing monster. We just I built a computer back in August for Lauren, uh, a new one, and that one can handle the DPX. So now I'm going balls oh. to the wall. Oh jeez! I brought my I brought my one terabyte, so you yeah, can, you can give me my new uh, DPX scans. Oh, D- DPX is offered to customers who request it. Like we have that, customers who say, "This is what I want," or they'll say, "What kind of output do you do?" And we'll say, "What kind of output do you want?" Yeah. Like yeah. whatever you want, what we'll you give need? to you. Not a problem. But, but not a lot of people do DPX files. I'm people imagining. who know the workflow will ask for it. Most people don't know about DPX. Yeah, it will. Cr- it'll crash a lot of. Oh yeah, like a lot of. It's lot overkill. There's no, there's no need for a file that big. My goal with customers who's going to show it on your computer or yeah. shooting family events or a wedding or even we have a lot of professionals that shoot weddings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, which is a really cool use for these. Yeah. I recommend HD. HD, it's easy to use. You can use it on any computer, and we we do. We provide the the ProRes.mov and this little bit smaller .mp4. This way, yeah. you could work with whatever we give we give you. And honestly, like if if you don't know what you're looking for mm. in like if you don't edit a lot of video and you just want to see, you know, for that ni- that ninety dollar forward investment, that MP4 file still looks killer yeah. on there. So even if you, you say, I'm a, I'm a wedding guy, I shoot weddings, I get the DPX file, I put it on my computer, I edit it down, I still have to downconvert it to give it to the client. Well, Matt, the yeah, DPX, right? yeah, is that just editing format? Like when you're giving something yeah. to a client. That's a raw file. They don't know what to do with it. It's going to be too big for Client's going to get an MP4. If it's a client. So you're going you're you, to downconvert it anyway. You'll so have to MP4. transcode it and edit and grade it and then export. So Is there any benefit to that? I'm just wondering. No, it's only for video folks like folks yeah. that are constantly doing this sort of thing and even for archival i think the i, mean, I guess the dpx is nice but it takes up so much space so it's not even really archival mm. it is a space monster John. Well, who's who's using this format editors yeah like even on a rare occasion i i bring my own film into dave i'm like oh, i'll take 4k i regret it every time because yeah. yeah, i'm it's just huge. just monster taking up space on a drive for no reason that I'm never going to use. So HD is the way to go. Yeah, I think. I, I think you know we're talking about Super Eight. I think. I think the the key to Super Eight, especially for wedding photographers, is to just drill into your head buying the right film. And I, I think that's very important. Next to you know having the proper batteries in your camera. 50D, perfect for outside. 200T, even better for outside and inside. Mm-hmm. Because it's a negative, the 200T, you don't have to sweat the whole filter thing. Don't sweat it. You're best leaving the filter out if you're going to be going back and forth. Mm. Sure. Because it all could be graded to look perfect. Yeah, you get that MOV file and then you play with it. And 500T, I'm sorry, advanced users only. It's like <laughs> everyone's using 500T. If it disappeared tomorrow, no one would miss it. But if you're shooting... Case in point, the other night we went to this outdoor event. It was a Halloween event with pumpkins that were carved and lit. Yes. 
So you bought 200 speed. Film. I did. I brought 200T because I wanted, I'm like, I don't need that damn 500T. It was just, <laughs> do you think do- 500T would have been useful there though? There's so much latitude in the film between 500T and 200T. The pumpkins were lit from the outside. There was no external light lighting the displays themselves. The only mm. light was coming from the pumpkins. All the close-up shots of the pumpkins are going to look yeah, great. close-ups for sure, but you're not going to be able to get and wide shots. So John and I, it was outdoor farm where there are pumpkins that are carved and lit yeah. from the inside. Ah, we're two bums. We got there one hour too late. Yeah. If we got there... We need a little bit of sunlight. A little bit. We got there just as the sun was coming down, so you would shoot, and then there's still enough skylight mm-hmm. to produce, like, oh my God, this is gorgeous. Mm. But you didn't have enough on the subject. Yeah. No, yeah. No, f- no front light. Yeah. But if we got there an hour earlier, the sun would have been going down, so mm-hmm. you would have had the golden... Have all of it. Yeah. Everything would have been golden. Yeah. And then the... So the camera would have exposed for the pumpkin, because it's auto... I know. And there wouldn't be that amazing fall off where everything else is just black. Mm-hmm. But John wants to know. Would, would 500 help? Yeah. Uh, we're going to see. Or is see. it just going to be grainier? It's definitely going to be grainier. Stuff it's grainier. definitely going to be grainier. So based upon what I've been doing here with Dave, it's like the 200T has enough latitude. So what he's doing of pulling and pushing mm-hmm. to get what we need is going to look better in the 200T, in my opinion. Film's so not you're back saying he can, he can pull it a little bit to give you what you may or have push. gotten, or yeah. push rather. Yeah, and this is all digital, not With the yes. 500, yeah. but it'll look better. In my opinion, that's what's going to happen. And it, it was, it's a test in motion. Okay. Because in my opinion, for folks who are just shooting Super 8, general purpose Super 8, 200T is the way to go. Unless you go into the beach... 50D. 50D is beautiful for the beach. That's, that's what I shot on right. vacation. So. And I'm not discounting Ektachrome, which is also, it's 100 ISO, also perfect for daylight in a Super 8 camera. Perfect for daylight. And of course, the beautiful Tri-X, which, you know, Tri-X motion is 200 ISO, not 400. Oh, okay. Eight, we're, we're okay, we're getting like... 200T. 200T. You're getting like 100 bucks. 100 bucks. You're getting... Four minutes. You're getting four minutes of footage. You can choose your scans, play around with it, whatever. And then your cameras maybe in, so we're we're not even two hundred bucks into this to find out if we like mm. shooting a movie and mm. you know I think the other thing that uh, spooked me out about the the price on this stuff is like you always put your your current shooting habits on what you're going to be doing with this this format so what I mean is like I shoot a lot of video with my phone I shoot a lot with my little mirrorless camera you're not going to be shooting every single moment of your life. With this film, right? It's going to be like it's probably going to be something yeah, like special. event specific. Camera yeah. edited. Yeah, so you're shooting really tight, right? Yes. You're not you're not doing a lot of More letting the shooting. camera roll. No, and it's special moments usually, right? Yes. Okay. And each shot, to me at least, like, well, count 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 to you. one, two, three, four, five. Cut. Get your next shot. One, two, three. So you could have, you know, Uncle Uncle Gene's birthday party. You can mm-hmm. go there with one roll of film, shoot it all chronologically in camera, each shot being anywhere from five to ten seconds. Shoot your movie film like you're a still photographer. Let the motion move in your frame. Mm. Don't move your camera around mm. if you're not experienced moving your camera oh. because we see a lot of, you know, we could we could put together a reel to sell as a motion sickness <laughs> inducer. <laughs> you know, people are excited with their cameras. They overuse the Super 8 zoom. Mm. So when you zoom in, it goes out of focus. If you're not, So there's a lot of keep it simple. So the next, the next question. All right, so we got our Super 8. We're, we're in under a couple hundred bucks. What's, what's the jump like if someone, you know, they hear us gassing up about these, these 16 cameras? What's the next? Can we do a quick backup to the great. double eight? Yeah, great. Great, regular eight. You're in much cheaper. So for 80 bucks... 
you have the film develop scan. Okay. And the camera is not going to cost you... I mean, most Super 8 cameras are $200. Okay. Let's just say. And above and below. But your Kodak Brownie, you can still get for 10 bucks. Mm. Solid Kodak Brownie that, like, it's, it's like a workhorse. What's going to be the biggest difference between the, the double eight and the, and the Super 8, then, for um, folks? If you expose it properly, it's going to look so much better. <laughs> Oh, so it's on. It's on, so it's on. So it's on you now, not the camera. There's no auto. Well, the the, the secret no the thing the thing no one talks about is that uh, Super Eight doesn't have a pressure plate. So pressure. So when you're popping in your cartridge, it's just, it's just it's bouncing just, around. It's it's yeah. It's working in a plastic frame. Mm-hmm. And the gate of the camera. Oh, and there's nothing like holding it right. tight, or no, okay, because it's all in the cartridge. Right? Yes, I never We're, thought of that. Yeah, Sam Sherman told me. All huh. credit goes to Sam. You know, yeah. early on, he's like double eight, <laughs> super eight, no pressure plate. <laughs> double eight is superior. No question. It's like this is not. This is. I'm not. I'm not giving my opinion but here. The super Fact. eight cameras are easier to use. Yes. Okay. And it's it's so accepted. Mm-hmm. Quickly, double eight. It's a film gate which we say in every video, mm-hmm. a pressure plate. Pressure. You're loading your camera, and your, your film is being squeezed between the film gate and a pressure plate, pressure. which is holding the film against the gate. Thus, better registration. If you're going with the Zeiss Movicon 8, which is like the Rolls-Royce of 8mm, it's right there. Where's See that? the little gray camera? Oh, the, oh, that's Zeiss. Yeah, look at that. You can get this camera for like 100 bucks. This looks It looks like a 35. Yeah, it is the most precise, <laughs> amazing... 8mm camera. There's a test online called Zeiss MovieCon 8, and we shot Eastman X. John's wearing cat glasses. This feels really, cat really glasses. nice. Yes. So satisfying. That's really nice. Like, if you're going on vacation, Matt, and you're like, ah, you know what? I this don't want to bring... It's almost a pocket camera. Almost. That yeah. camera is West German engineered. It is... It is... It's the lens. I can't say enough about you it. I love that camera. Ten millimeter, so obvious. 10 millimeter on eight, that means this is like a, so this would be like a 20 millimeter? 13 millimeter is the norm. So okay, it's so a it's little a bit wider. wider. Okay. And they make a, a wide angle adapter for it. Oh, and, and it's so, and because this is just a, it's a parallax a, viewfinder. A viewfinder, that's just like scale focus, right? We're just yes. like kind of setting it. Yes. And of course, we're dealing with a format that's smaller film. Yes. So... That means your depth of field is generally going to be a little bit, a little bit deeper anyway at yes. any given focus. Hmm. But well shot eight on the MovieCon eight, this will be will look six like sixteen because it's the the lenses are so hmm. precision. I guess that's the other thing. Are the lenses better on the eights than on the Super Eight cameras? Oh my god! We're ne- oh Super my god! 8s. We're never going to stop talking, Matt. Uh, no, it's fine. Eight oh. millimeter. Uh, so regular eight cameras for the most part. Not that, that one. That's very specific. Is there anything in yeah. this? No. Okay. Um, a better glass. Takes a D-mount lens. Security camera lens, Matt. Oh, okay. so D- and then C-mount's the 16 version. Yes. Okay. Takes a D-mount lens, and there's a whole series of, you know, Wallensack, uh, Zeiss. That's the gate. Oh, look at that. Got dirty gate. I'm going to load that for you later. You're going to die. Here. Dude, this looks like it's easy to load, too. Easy to load. Wow. No, see, if you would have shown me this, I don't think I would have gone this far. <laughs> no, because those 8mm scans that you have, you're like walking around Jersey. Like going, There's a young lady going to the deli. Do you know, remember those scans? Um, it was like some straight 8 stuff. It was oh really Oh, my good. God. That was in the New Hampshire? Yeah, those scans look amazing. <clears throat> I shot that on a 
$5 Bell & Howell. Really? Yeah. And it looks great. I mean, better than a lot of 16 I've seen from people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 8mm, regular 8, if you're just starting out, if you want a little more hands-on, bottom line is 8, you have to like set your f-stop. It's manual. Okay. There are automatic cameras out there. There are a few, like uh, the MDCO EM5000 comes to mind as a recommended camera. And there's a video online for it. But for the most part, it's all manual. But you're in much cheaper, Matt. Oh, I bet. And for both Super 8 and Double Eight, the great thing is, folks, let's say you, you're in and you shoot a roll or two and you're like, ah, I'm done. Your camera will not lose value. Mm. You'll be able to sell it for the You'll get your money back or more money by selling it on eBay. I, li- I had no idea this thing existed. This well, that, is, Leslie sent me that. This is so. Wow. Uh, this is a Leslie cam. It just showed up in the mail, and I was like, "What is this?" This is sweet. One point nine Zeiss one point nine lens. This is awesome. It's loud for you know uh, a cam, but it's like pretty quiet considering what it is, what but it does. The workmanship of it. And then, all right, a lot of these crank cameras, there is a limit to these spring wound cameras. How? Have you tested how long you can shoot on a wind? 30 seconds. 30 seconds. So that's like... Like Bolex. Yeah, so like you're going to get, what, five wines per roll or something like that? Something yeah. like that, yeah. yeah. Well, remember, you're only holding your shots for five seconds. Yeah. Oh, and you, can you do single frame on this? Yes. Oh, my. So you can do time lapse on this? Yes. That's awesome. You could do your, your, your animated pickle movie yeah. like you always wanted. <laughs> now, the, the plus and minus of eight, eight millimeter yes. versus Super 8, like when John and I went to the pumpkin patch... Pumpkin patch. <laughs> I, I knew. I was like, I want to shoot Super 8. And I knew I wanted to shoot Super 8 because I wanted to just grab and go. You have to worry about it. I didn't have to worry about it. Regular 8, it's 16 millimeter in width. You shoot both sides. So it's shooting one side of your 16 millimeter frame. Then you flip the, flip the roll. Oh, so you, you – and does it, does it roll all the way off and then you just yep. flip it? Okay. Yep. Flip it. You flip the roll. Oh, that's why it's colored on the cartridge, so you know which... And shoot the other side, and then either digitally or in the lab, it gets slit, so you see the regular frame. A lot of questions are like, oh, well, then I could use double perf 16 in my regular camera. No. Oh, why is that? Perfing. Perfing on double eight is is eight millimeter perfing, so... It's different. Different. So you would not be able to run 16 millimeter through a regular eight camera. It wouldn't work. All right, and then so most, uh, pretty much all Super 8, all these double eight cameras, these are all also, they're kind of loud. Cam- these aren't, this, these are silent movie. Yeah. I think, it, I think it, it could into, take I'm it. I'm going to knock it off into my briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a bunch of experiments shooting wild sound on my iPhone mm. and then syncing it up. Most famously, I'm at my parents' door waiting for my dad to open the door to say something funny. And I have, you know, my, my iPhone is in my pocket, and I'm, <laughs> and you hear, and uh, my dad will open the door and be like, I gave it the office, and he just yeah, closed yeah, the yeah. door. <laughs> That's what he says. Yes. He's old school, they dad. Yeah. So you, you can record sound, but, you know, 18 frames a second, 16 frames per second, it's just little blurbs of sound. You can't. Mm-hmm. It's just for fun, Dad. Yeah. 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 Like if you're shooting a birthday party. Put great. your iPhone in your pocket and turn this. Yeah, you don't re- have to sync it up. Yeah, record the sound for fun. For ambient sound. Would there be a way to lock this um, while running? Can you lock it open? That I don't know. Matt, you could buy that for under 100 bucks if you get the right auction. That's pretty cool. I don't, I don't need it. I know any. you don't. But I've, you, I've already like you don't, you don't want. You don't have to have it, but you need it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to have an 8mm camera. This is pretty freaking cool. Because I, I always see the... 
Um, they're really weird. You know, it looks like a turret cam, but it looks like everything's like seized up because it's so old and it's just sat out somewhere. So this looks like regular sweet. eight. Yeah. Well, these Most- cameras are so precise, and the people that bought these cameras probably had a little money. Mm-hmm. They just kept everything nice. Yeah. Whereas the Bell and Howells, like every dad in the country had a Bell and Howell, and you know they just get put on tossed the- them around. Yeah. Threw it in the back of the car. Yep. Yep. My dad was a Kodak guy. Yeah, this one. Super 8? Uh, the one that's out there. The one with the, the brownie, with the two uh, oh. collapsible, the, the uh, oh, okay. viewfinder was collapsible. Where are those movies? Oh, I have them somewhere. I thought you said your sister has them. Uh, yeah, I, I gave them to Sharon Rasp oh. to transfer onto VHS. You gotta get them back. And then, no, I, I did get them back. Oh. And then, uh, my sister has the rough files. I get, you mean the actual film? Yeah. She's gonna be like, I threw them away! No. She's not like that. And of course, that's the other, you know, the whole other reason when you're shooting, just Got like with forever. stills. Yeah. It's always on the film. So yeah. even if you do... It's like, oh, my computer crashed. You want a oh. higher res scan later? Great. You can just rescan it. Yeah. For the rest of your life, you'll have your, your, your film. Yep. It's pretty cool. So, which is like, which I tell my students teaching film photography, which, you know, you, you'll ha- you know, hold up the... the Print file. You'll have this the rest of your life. And they're just like staring at me. They're like, this guy's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> what else? All right. So move, So like eight, double eight, great. Super eight, great. I'm really impressed with the size. But uh, we got a bunch of these 16s on the table. What's the – what kind of move are we talking if somebody wants to jump, like step it up to these, these 16s? Price-wise, we were, Price and like – Price and like yeah per like per footage kind uh, of stuff. It's slippery slope. Okay, so let's start. We're talking sixteen, right? Let's start with like like this the the Criterion and like move up. Uh, a yeah. Keystone Criterion Deluxe A12. I'm always searching for it because I could have two or three of them. Hmm. Can't have enough. I'm always looking for like sixty bucks. I say Kodak's for like sixty bucks. Yeah, uh, Kodak. Okay, let's start with the K, Kodak K camera. Mm-hmm. There's a few other models under fifty bucks. Okay. Um, they're really old. They're fun. They're cool to have. For me, like every day, grab and go, which I do, grab this all the time. Keystone, A12, Criterion Deluxe, single perf or double perf film, and you can get it for 150 bucks and under. Okay. So let's really leave not it at much that. More, not much more than Super 8. Yeah. If you find some of the other Keystones, I have them over here. The A3, the A7, they take double perf film, cheaper, 50 bucks, oh, 60 okay. bucks. Look for, look for something that looks... It looks, you know, in good shape and ask the seller, especially on eBay, just post more pictures. Mm-hmm. Inside, what does the inside look like? And that's so you know what it takes. So the, to me, the starting camera. Okay. Keystone. Yep. Mm-hmm. Next up, you want to know what's next? Yeah, of course I do. Next up in my, and I'm going to miss some here. So folks, feel free to like chime in. Uh, most popular are Bolex. H16. That's the non-reflex. There are two. You have to kind of really keep your eyes peeled. Ooh, okay. I think the H16 is the reflex. So there's two types of Bolexes. Reflex, you're looking through the lens. Or non-reflex, you're looking through like a little side. Viewfinder, yeah. If you're just shooting as a hobbyist, both are fine. And and the you can usually tell because you type in Bolex, you're going to see cameras that start yep. around 100. And then you're going to see ones that go into the yep. thousands. I bought my Bolex about three years ago. For five hundred dollars, I lucked out. David, I'm gonna say Bolex Reflex. Let me know if you think I'm right because you've been looking, Matt. Twelve hundred dollars mm-hmm. or less. Basic uh, model. Basic one. Yes. Three lenses. Three lenses. Hoi. Uh, that's been recently serviced. It yeah. comes with accessories. Yeah. 
Yeah. Next in line, super popular. I have one here because I had to have it. Not your fault I have it. Yeah, because I was looking. We were in Cleveland in April, and was, Matt's like... It was the evening after I was playing around with the 16, and I'm already like in, I'm in gas mode, and like I'm looking at stuff, and I start sending... I was like, hey, Mike, is this a good camera? Because the only thing I came up with was all these videos about people shooting with, uh, with the K3. What did yeah. you say? Whoa! I was, in, I was a little bit in awe because I never shot with it. Mm. And everyone's talking about the K3. Everyone's like, I got my K3. And it's like, I'm like, okay, I need to shoot with this K3. Mm-hmm. So Matt was like, hey, this guy has 16 of them in Moldova. I'm like, I'm going to get it. I'm like, no, I'm going to get it. We could both get it. And he didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get it. Next thing you know, he calls me and tells me about yeah. the camera we're going to talk about in a second. <clears throat> so I bought the K3, $500. Wow. Or maybe it was okay. 600 It was probably 600 with shipping and stuff. Yeah. $600. It took forever to get here. Customs, yeah. Uh, and I still haven't shot with it yet. Which shows you how excited I am. And this is still a uh, a spring wound camera. Oh, oh yeah, it's very yeah, very important to say we're all talking about spring wound hand, cr- you know, hand CR crank crank <clears throat> camera. You crank it and you get thirty seconds worth of footage. Bolex, Keystone, K three, K three K three is a reflex. Ooh, okay. And what you could find, which is great, which I couldn't wait for, which is you wait for the person. To buy it for the $600, get sick of it, and then flip it. Shoot one roll and mm. flip it. Flip yeah. it in the U.S. so you don't have to wait three months Three yeah. months to get your camera, and then it's tested. What was the shipping like? When that... I don't recall. $37, I think. Well, that's yeah, it's usually, not so when you're, bad. When you're buying it from Eastern Europe, it takes, it takes longer than it costs. Yeah. 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 Super popular. Lots of videos on um, YouTube. Yeah. And not, there's a not. dude on Instagram... Do you know about the dude on Instagram? Oh, you're not on Instagram. No, but he sells the converted kits, right? Let's see what he has going on. Yeah, Bray was talking about him. When I was in the um when I was in Joshua Tree, my first experience with the K3 was hanging out with uh, Bray Hunziger. He's a YouTuber, uh Instagram photographer, shoots in the Pacific Northwest, and he has a huge huge like the most popular video out there about the K3. It's like a full user guide. Mm. He talks about the different conversions and lenses and I think he has a he had a PL adapted one. So the positive lock lens, like the one that all the new What does that mean, positive lock? So it's like the lens goes on and then the bayonet locks around it. So that's like a positive. So instead of like it clicks in, like in, and then you lock it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like a two-handed operation, but you can handle these big, heavy, like modern lenses on Mm. there. But he's all about the K3. There he is. Yeah, that's him. What's his name? uh, That's Bray Hunziger. Oh, so Really, really nice guy. <clears throat> so the guy on Instagram, and he's on other platforms, mm-hmm. uh, his, his handle is K3Super16. Yes. His name is Max, and he converts them and then sells them. Mm-hmm. And they're really nice kits. They come with, like, case and everything. Deluxe. I'll be, I'll be ju- ah, did you say how much? I said deluxe. Oh, how much? How much? That guy. The Max You'll guy. be that guy. Uh, they're, they're over 1,000. Over 1,000. Yeah, but it's because they, they have, they're tested. He's putting TLC into it. A lot. It's, it's like... It's quality. Po- yeah, it's turnkey. You just load film in it. I think the ones from Moldova, wasn't this a fleet from a school? Huh. Or they're like converted with the use of going to schools. And that's another thing that's making these big is there's so many of those out there, the K3s, that people are buying <clears> them <throat> up and 
you know, the, the programs that can't afford to maybe buy a bunch of Bolexes and upkeep those, they're opting for the, the K3. And this was, <clears throat> and the frame was upgraded from standard 4x3 to what's called Ultra 16. Which is pretty sweet. But if you snoop around, you're going to find this camera anywhere from 500 up until like 1200 bucks. Yeah. But if you're going to spend the money, K3 or Bolex, well, I, I, I can't really judge because I haven't shot with this mm-hmm. yet. So I'm not going to. You, you know, might you might be surprised. I'm not going to put the hammer down on the K3. Yeah, and now we're starting to get into cameras that can do some different things, including this K3. This K3 gives you um, gives you different frame rate options. Yes, it does. Please be aware that if your camera is not uh, clean, lubricated, and adjusted, CLA, your frame rates may vary. So especially as you get into higher speeds, those can damage the spring. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I shoot 16 frames per second, sometimes 12 frames per second, sometimes. 24 frames per second. That's it. I don't... Mm. I know, especially the Keystones, I know they're really old and they haven't been, like, serviced. Mm -hmm. So I don't push it. Got it. Moving up the line. Yes. So Matt was looking (laughs) at... So I essentially bought the K3 Matt was looking at. Sorry, Mike. And Matt was doing his own research and... Next thing you know, he calls me and tells me he bought an Aeroflex, which I was shocked, by the way. Well, even... I think Mike got, like, a hint at the whole process before uh, Lauren even knew because... Um, so my good buddy, Steven Takis, I always hang out with him, shared the darkroom with him for the last decade, the brownie emotion guy. Steven with PH, by the way. Okay. Just so you know. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, he was like, hey, Matt, you want to go to the, the yearly camera auction? It's usually hand, held in Columbus. And I was like, no, I'm going to do something stupid. So I get there and I do something stupid. And uh, I see this this giant, like one of those big um, Halliburton cases. Mm-hmm. It's all covered in crap. And I... I see this this really cool black and silver can it looked like a Hasselblad but just huge and it had all these weird Mickey Mouse looking things on it and I had no idea but I saw the bidding started at like 200 bucks I'm like uh-oh I should oh. probably bid on this and there was resell- camera resellers there and they can get really uh it can turn into like a pissing match you know who has the coolest like that. gear that they bought that day and there was a guy there that specializes in the cinema cameras he'd been buying bolexes left and right there a rex 3 at that auction went for like 700 bucks that's amazing for for yeah that's that's a that's good a good price or a high price no it's good rex 3s are like two three grand oof yeah. yeah but this guy ended up going for a very very under market value price with all the accessories matt by the way has never said the price no now, i'm not asking you to say the price thousand bucks he said it before. Amazing. I did have to serve. So, but this kind of goes into the, but if, the kit the itself. Requirements. If you snoop around, like if you want a bow, you say I want a reflex Bolex. You have to be patient because you'll find it. You'll find it at that auction, physical auction, or you're, mm-hmm. you, if you just wait, you'll find it on eBay. Yes. Same thing for the Airflex, you just, especially this model. Yeah. Because the SR is coveted. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is a less popular model, but equally as awesome. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Let's dial it back. So this, this camera that's, that's sitting here that I, Mike's been hyping up, this is um, a model that started in 1958. And this is really kind of what heralded in the, like, the age of like, the news cams and like, school cams. This is now no longer a spring-wound camera. This is the Airflex 16S. Specifically, this one's the ST. It's like a later model. So this one needs electronics. So... They had adapters to plug it into a wall for, like, studio stuff. And then most popularly, it ran on, like, lead-acid batteries and, like, this 
funky two pin two prong uh cord and it ran on weird like eight volt power originally when i got this camera it didn't have any of the cables so i had to start doing research on power and i found something i found a guy that 3d printed this adapter and i made like a battery cable and i actually got it to work on these kind of subpar batteries that i've been using for my digital monitors because i looked at the voltage quick question will you look will you see matt is so precise the question i answer my own question like were you worried about putting too much voltage through it and could it have blown it up? You you can yeah. definitely um well, the other thing this this camera's like such a a beast it's like a precise tool um but because we're dealing with a motor that has brushes in it if you crank too much juice you'll you can ruin the motor in here. So on a camera like this you want to have a battery that's vetted for it or if you're handy and you can you know you know how to use a, a multimeter or multimeter you can find a battery that has the right volts but also the right um, amps so like uh you know when you like start an engine and your battery's dead it doesn't have enough amps doesn't have enough push to Mm. crank over the engine same thing with something that has a motor in it like this but this is still uh like a lot of the early cameras we talked about even though it's electronic i'm going to hook the battery up so folks at home can hear it um even though this is an electronic camera, it is not a a quiet camera. Quiet cameras weren't really like a thing yet. That that came around in like the 70s. Because this was just for pure documentation. Yeah. So it was still a silent movie camera or MOS, which is... Meet Out Sound. Meet Out Sound, yeah. So here it is, plugged in, ready to go. It's not that bad. It's not too bad. But it's still noticeably it still sounds loud. smooth. It doesn't sound clunky. And the only reason it sounds smooth is because I, I did send it in to get serviced. Mm-hmm. And a camera like this, this is just like a Hasselblad where you, whether it was stored beautifully or hasn't been touched, in this the case of this one, it hadn't been touched in 30 years, hmm. it needed a CLA. So I looked up places that CLA and service cameras, and wouldn't you know it, right here in New Jersey. No, they're in New Jersey? They're... 30 minutes from Where? here, Mike. So this is from the CLA job got done by Jeff over at Dual Camera in Westfield, New Jersey. Oh, I thought they were in New York. No, well, almost New York. I yeah. think Dual upgraded yeah. the SR. They converted that for you, yeah. Huh. And then here it is without the door, so we can just hear the difference. Araflex makes, made, makes made what's called a blimp. Yes, that would f- further deaden the sound. It's like this wrought iron and leather bag that like goes around the camera to kind of yeah halt any of that sound from getting out once it moves in the camera. But the thing with these blimped cameras is they have to surround everything because anytime the metal is touching, mm. the sound will just go out. So that means it has to go around the lens, and that's what makes it huge. It's like, imagine those dive cases that people put on, yes. on yeah. cameras, but, like, even bigger. Um, but then we started to get more upgraded cameras. Cameras got smaller and got more capacity, and then they started to make them, like, really silent cameras. And, uh, oh, I guess one other thing. This camera also has a whole host of accessories that are available for it. So this has different motors you can get for it. Hmm. Um, this one came with uh, this, these Mickey Mouse style ears for a magazine. So this actually has uh, some 400 foot magazines. So not only can we do a, a 100 foot load, which is two minutes 45 yep. for, at 24 frames a second, I can do 400 foot loads, which gives gets you a lot more poundage on the camera, but you get 11 minutes. Yes, 
uh, but that one you have to load in the dark, so not daylight spools. Feature. Yeah. Yes, or if you're shooting, I don't know, even if you're shooting something like for fun, yeah. you have that 11 minutes, you don't have to keep changing out. Change out. If you know your stocks already, it's, oh, yeah. And you could have, if you have more, how many magazines do you have? I've got three mags. He can have, can have he, them preloaded. He's loaded up for the day. Yep. Yeah. The day. And <laughs> what I, I guess what I love about this camera, and like as soon as I started doing research, I saw what the price was on this because I was looking. I, I talked Mike into the K3, and I'm like, ah, Mike's getting it. I'll take a look at that. And <laughs> then I'm like, oh, Bolex, that's Swiss. Cinar is Swiss. Maybe I want a Bolex. And then I start watching the videos. There's another film YouTuber, uh, Kyle McDougal. He did a video about his Bolex and the trials and tribulations of working with Bolexes and stuff. And I thought that was nice, but like I wanted something that like was pretty. What I really wanted was what, yeah. what Mike has right here, this <laughs> SR. But those are now we're into like the thousands of dollars easy. Yeah. And I wanted to keep it like low-ish. But I also know I like something that's a little bit nicer. And when I went to medium format, I dove right into a Hasselblad. And as soon as I saw this at the auction, it was mm-hmm. over. Like, And it came with all the other – minus the power, it came with this little matte box. came with three lenses. It came with all the filters for it. Do you know – the grip or no? Uh, oh, that's the best. The grip's built in. Look at that. Do you know uh, the history of this camera? Like, what production company owned this camera? What it was it used was a, for? It was a hobbyist that had it. Oh. So that's why it was, like, it was gummed up, but it was pristine, you know? So, like, it didn't need too, too much work to get it back uh, up to speed. So when I sent it to Dual, Jeff said he had to blast off a lot of the, cor- like, some, not corrosion, but, like, almost rust. Right. And then... Um, he also collimated the lenses, which is like checking to make sure that they're sitting flush. And that's important on this because it has that divergent turret thing. Now, these cameras... It's like a lionfish. <laughs> these ones, uh, this one's 4x3. Most of these cameras are 4x3. Mm. So the standard 16. Um, there were ones that were super converted, but they're, they get really expensive. Yes. People, it costs thousands to convert these. And the reason that these are more expensive to convert, this uses what's called, and this was like Ari's claim to fame for the longest time, it has a bow tie shutter, which it <laughs> looks, cute. when it spins around, you can see it. It looks oh, like yeah. a bow tie. And it's, exp- <laughs> it's running huh. it through. And because there is a mirror in there that has to rotate, you can't just like, on the K3, if you want to ex- expand the gate, you just gotta, you can dremel it. Yeah. <laughs> Because this uses that precision mirror, you actually have to like open this up, change this out, and then you also have to put in a new mirror and everything else. So it's a really expensive. Ooh. So basically, every anytime you touch one of these electronic cameras, like money dis- if you're not careful, money disappears. Right. And that's the one thing I'll caution, I guess, on a camera system like this. I knew what I was getting into because I knew these cameras were already going for a lot, and if I got one for a little, I was probably going to have to put some work into it. Mm. So what i ended up doing you shot a test roll before getting it cleaned lubricated and adjusted yes and now you're we're waiting for footage to get back to see yes i took this on vacation and i shot uh i still was like scared i didn't want to take the uh the magazines on vacation because it's it's huge um so i did four 100 foot loads on vacation i think that's great that's great, and it's what, per- what, what, I'm sorry. What no. kind of film did you shoot in there? Color? I shot color this time. Yeah. So the first, the test was black and white because it's inexpensive. Uh, Mike's generously sent a congratulatory roll of FPP 100. Yes. Uh, and I did my test on that, and then I shot a bunch of 50D, and then I also had because 
I've been shooting my Fuji digital camera for years, and I color grade it with the Eterna look, which is an old film stock that mm. they used to make. I found some Eterna no uh, way. 200T, and I shot that as well. But I filtered it oh. to oh, bring okay. it back to... Basically, you put the filter on and an ND, and it makes it 50D. So I basically shot everything like 50D on vacation because we are on the beach. Did you give the expired film any more, like... Uh... I gave it about an extra stop and a half, okay. so... Hopefully Dave's got enough to to work with. I'm sure he will. Yeah. yeah. And then I also had a ran, a rando roll of uh, I think EXR 200. Yes, you did. That that should be that that was like low priority stuff. So. And will you be satisfied with what you have, or you do you covet other things? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting right next to it, Mike. You can't ask me this. Right. Uh, now, I know if I want to shoot something like paid, I think I'm probably going to rent a an SR setup. Right. Um, which is conveniently what you have right next to you here. This uh, the 16 SR, which has been converted to Super 16, and this is so the SR, the big claim to fame on this. This is a 400 foot loads only. This is a big. Oh, you could put 100 feet in there. Oh, you, oh, yeah. but it's it'll take a daylight spool. Oh, it will. Yeah. Oh, perfect. So, but it's just a bigger mag that's yes. always up to 400. Bigger camera, but half of the reason it's larger is it's almost completely silent compared to this. The 16S. So if I plug her in here. Hey, Paris. For whatever your purposes, whether it's soup, you know, a, a music video, honestly, that's a tighter, easier to carry, mm. easier it's, to operate, more this, versatile. Especially with the 400-foot mag. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty nice. Oh, I guess the other thing that comes up a lot, especially if you start looking up, up this stuff on forums, is many people are obsessed with... Um, is it a sync sound camera? Is it sync sound? Is it crystal sync? Any of that? A lot of the, every camera up to the one we were just talking about, the SR, those are all wild sound cameras, and none of them up until the SR are sync sound. Which you know that means we we're shooting a frame rate, but it is not like a hundred percent accurate down yeah. to the frame. So if you're capturing sound, the longer the clip goes on, you might. More you might sync. drift a little bit. We're missing a, a model or two in between. For example, John, we shot we part of Ghoul School B on a Araflex. I I could be mistaken. I, BL. Oh, a BL. Oh, BL. So yeah. that's that's a thirty-five. No, it was sixteen. Oh, it was a sixteen BL. Yeah. So that's between these guys. Yeah. And it had a crystal sync motor on it. Those, and mm. you can get a crystal sync motor for these too. But the BLs they're much more common with the, the yeah. crystal sync because that's when. They were making that model, and then they continued that into the SR a little yeah. bit. So, And the camera died on a Friday during shooting Ghoul School, and we had to call up Mick Cribben in Manhattan. And were you in, Did you get in the car to go yes, get it? Yes, went right to his apartment. Wow. We borrowed an SR to finish out Ghoul School. Borrowed nice. or? Bor- rented. rented it. Yes. By the way, you can watch Ghoul School on Tubi TV. I don't recommend it. <laughs> and for numerous reasons. I would recommend it if it was remastered just to see the cinematography. Yeah. But the negatives were, quote unquote, lost. So the only really? thing that exists is the standard definition oh. transfer uh, from 1990. It doesn't hold up. Do, yeah. It's fine, but it's not what it could be. Who hmm. was uh, in possession of the negatives? Uh, uh, well, that's a story. Well, it's a short story. Traditionally, a producer would produce a film 
and the film negative would be at the laboratory and you would get your film developed, get whatever you need and leave. Just everyone forgot about the negatives. Oh. So either the lab closes and they, you just lose your negs or you didn't pay a bill and the lab holds your negs and then you never bail it out. Ah. So that's traditionally and happens a lot. Did it get bailed out or it just got left behind? It wasn't – I didn't produce the film, so oh. it got left behind. Who, who produced it? Dave Dakota? Dave Dakota produced oh. it. Um, it happened with the film 1996 Santa Claus. The John Russo movie? John Russo movie. The, the, I, I bailed out the negs. And we left our Psycho Sisters negatives at WRS in Pittsburgh in really? 1996. And I had to bail those out. Wow. When I say bail it out, I mean it literally – you bail it out. You they're like sure. Give us you go. You go get your dollars. bail bond. Oh jeez. You get your money and you bail go bond. bail out your your film negatives. And there you have it. Yeah, this was. I mean, I, I'm clearly super biased. Incredibly yeah. gassed up on this still. Well, I mean, this is the first motion picture podcast that we've done in probably three three years. Feedback as always. Please give us some feedback. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. <laughs> If you want to hear more comments, it's like, and we're just talking, we're just guys talking. I'm not, I'm talking from my experience and I'm a hands-on guy. Matt, as I mentioned early on, Matt has more technical skill. Thank God. (laughs) What Matt's bringing technically, he's so far advanced even uh, over us, the old guys. He he just stepped in like what? How long ago? A few months ago. Yeah. (laughs) Already, but, he surpassed but us. But like, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like in this age, it's so easy to like gathering knowledge takes like seconds, right? Yes. But the so experience, accessible. the experience is the really valuable thing, and that's what I'm trying to like. That's why I don't want to like just blurt out there that I've got all this stuff because I I don't feel like I've done enough with you it. Haven't yet. worked enough with it. Yeah, yet. yeah. That's where I'm getting to. Yeah. Let us know, folks, if you want us to do more on motion picture. Or never talk about it again. <laughs> yeah, probably in the spring. I'll probably make my way out to Ohio. And we could, yes. And, you know, we'll reserve the full-on 8-millimeter, you know, Reg A talk for when Owen's in town. So that, that's his, that's that's his, his thing. Zone. That's mm-hmm. his zone. It's his zone, and very he deserves to be in that zone because he's the guy who kind of jump-started the, the return of that here at the FPP. That's so, right. And we'll see you soon. Okay, Bye. <laughs> with the